James chapter 1. We're in a series going through the book of James. Actually, I just want to just kind of celebrate. Yesterday we had our, the hillbilly hoedown out at our place, and uh, it was a great time. We had, it was funny, one of, the, one of the families that came last year was actually a, a Japanese family um, that's here. Uh, he's um, got work over here. They've been here for, I think, three years or four years, and Jody Utter and um, Jean Brown. Uh, who was up here with one of the boxes. Um, they actually work with English as a second language. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, ESL. It's a ministry out of Cross Point Church, uh, which is just right up in Fairlawn. And they have a number of people that are coming there. I think there's like uh, five or ten nationalities that are at this English as a second language thing. And the, this Japanese family is part of that ministry. They came last year, and I met them. His name is Dice K., and it's not the rapper or anything like that. That's, that's how I remembered it. Sorry, it's a little bit. That's the only way it works for me. Um, don't ask me how I remember your name. Um, <laughs> so uh, anyway, they came. They had a great time, and they came back this year, and they brought two more families with them. So we had this whole international thing going on, and I have no idea what they think of our hillbilly hoedown because um, it's got to be the weirdest thing. Uh, people dressed up kind of weird. Um, but anyway, Dice K came up to me. We were lifting hay bales up into the loft of our barn at the end of the night. And he's like, can I do that? And I'm like, sure. It spares me from lifting hay bales up. It's, so he got all excited. So he got the hay bale hooks and hooked them into the hay. And then he ran up our ladder and then came up in the loft and then got on the rope. And, it was, and he's like, oh, it's heavy. And then he's pulling this thing up. And it was a good time. We had fun. Uh, donut eating contest. I don't know. Candy corn guessing thing. Hot dogs. Um, hot dogs soaked in beer. Root beer. Not beer. Root beer. Um, great time. So I want to say a shout out to Beth and her team who put that together. It's a great time. So uh, we are in James going through this and uh, we're in this next section here and it's about mirrors. Um, James chapter one, he says this. Therefore, which is a big thing, and I just lost my place. Here we go. Therefore, verse 21, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Title of the message is Mirror, Mirror on the Wall, probably one of the most famous lines. We all recognize it from Snow White. Mirrors are, are an interesting thing. They've actually been around as long as people have been around because we've always been curious about what we look like. And you can find mirrors in the water. You can see your image on a still, calm surface. Uh, they would polish up brass back in the day and then steel and iron gold whatever you could look at something that was shiny and see your reflection we're all curious as to what we look like and uh it's kind of funny watching my kids grow up and seeing what they would do in front of the mirror 
And, and it's really funny because I did those same things when I was a kid. What is it about us and mirrors and when we get in front of them, when nobody's around, the things that we do, right? Like, what do you do in front of the mirror that nobody else sees? Um, I know guys, a lot of us, we, uh, well, I mean, it's the go-to thing. You're like, right? Don't tell me you don't do it. I know you do. I know you do. Uh, the older you get, you're, you're looking sideways, sucking in the gut, trying to all right, fight against age and time. We make faces in the mirror, right? Sing in the mirror, songs going on in the background. Hey, baby, right? Some of us do that, maybe not others. Uh, some of you who are younger, you're practicing saying hello in the mirror to that guy you like or that girl. Hey there, right? Practice your different faces, the serious face, you know, kind of look off to the side. You ever try to look at yourself without looking at yourself? Like, what do I look like when I'm not looking at myself? But the problem is you can never beat your eyes back, right? They're always right there. Look at your teeth, right? How many of us look at our teeth? Anything there? All clear? I think everybody does this in the morning. We always go into the bathroom, look at the mirror, and assess the damage from the previous night's sleep, trying to guess how long it'll take to fix it. Um, it's funny, I was watching a video this past week, a really short clip, about four minutes, of four people who did this little reality thing of going without looking at a mirror for seven days. And uh, in a culture, like, you can do that out, like, in the wilderness, and it doesn't matter because nobody's looking at a mirror. But when you're in a culture in the city, you just don't do that. And so these people, two guys, two girls, went a full week without looking at themselves in the mirror. And uh, it was fascinating to see their face at the end when they saw themselves because they showed a mirror and they were processing and they saw themselves. And this one dude has hair like it just won't quit. It's just like this crazy stuff. And he looked at it and he just started laughing. He goes, that's what I've looked like for seven days. <laughs> He's like, that's awesome. I'm not changing it. I'm going to keep it the same. And another girl said, it has been so interesting. My self-image changed. By the end of the week, I didn't really fear what I looked like. Like, I just, I stopped thinking about it because I wasn't looking at myself in the mirror all the time. I thought, huh, that was profound. Um, not going to do anything with it, but I thought that was profound. <laughs> this one guy really had issues. He struggled with it, and, and they showed him taking down the mirrors. Well, this guy had a whole wall of mirrors. And I'm like, bro, you need counseling. Like, that's just, that's way too many mirrors. But, uh, he uses this idea of mirrors, but before he gets there, he starts with this famous word, uh, therefore. Famous because if you've studied the Bible, you've probably heard this. Whenever you see the word therefore, there, you always have to ask the question of what's it there for? And what it's there for is, it's the first time he says it in chapter 1 here, and it's really a summary statement where he starts to now turn and make his point. So what has he said up to this point? Well, it's all about trials. Consider trials joy because it makes us perfect and complete in Christ. He says in trials, ask for wisdom because God will give it. But don't ask in this, this doubting like God isn't there. But, you know, ask and he'll do that. He says in trials, let the one who's wealthy not boast in the wealth because they ain't got nothing but Jesus. And let the one who is lowly boast in Jesus because they got Jesus. 
goes on to say, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast in trial, who received the crown of life. Make sure, though, that when you're in a trial and you're tempted, you don't blame God for your temptation. That's all on you. And then he goes on and finally is saying in verse 16, look, everything that comes from God is good. He gives us good gifts. His truth, his word is the best gift of all. And in trials, make sure you don't speak quickly and, and go to anger quickly, but you listen. Therefore, having said all of that, he writes this, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. He says, in trials, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Filthiness, a moral dirt. Get rid of the immoral dirt of your life. Rampant wickedness is this flourishing, unchecked wickedness. Get rid of it. And trials, when they come, we've got to be able to put away that side of life that Christ has pulled us out of. Like, it's done. And, and what's hard is be, the inclination of our hearts and desires is that we create levels of wickedness. We create boxes. We create categories. And, and we say, well, I'm not doing all that. This isn't that bad. We create these things so we can hang on to some of it. It's not nearly as bad as what we used to do. But he says, all all of it away. Any filthiness. What a word. There's another passage that says, in the Christian life, there should not be a hint, just a hint of immorality. Not even a hint. Put it all away and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. This idea of the word, it's come up now six times from verse 18 up to here, over and over and over again. You hear the word, the word, the word, the word, the word, the word. The word. James is talking about the word. And what's the word? Well, it seems as in this context, it's a rich, I mean, it's got all kinds of meanings here, but in James, he's specifically talking about the gospel. And, well, then what's the gospel? You may be kind of new to this, and that's, that's like a Christian buzzword, like, I don't know what that means. The gospel, essentially, I mean, I'm, I'm stripping it way down, but essentially, it is that Jesus is the Savior, Jesus is God, he's the Savior of the world from sin, from death, from hell. He's not only a savior from that, he's a savior who comes and then gives life, eternal life. Like, what's it like to live in heaven? He brings that to us and says, you can have that, but you can have it now. And so we get that life of healing and freedom and forgiveness and ultimately a connection with him that we'll have face-to-face one day, but we can have right now. And, and, and in a sense, we, we sense it this morning. He's here. That peace you sense that's life. That's Christ. 
And it starts through believing in Jesus, that who he said he is and is and was, that he really is that, placing our trust, our faith in him, and then surrendering control of our lives to him. That's the essence of the gospel, the word. It's what the Bible all heads to, culminates with, ends with. That's the word. It also includes, as the word, when you talk about Jesus come to save us from sin, from, well, there's a moral law that we've all broken. So there's the, involved with that is the moral law of God. That we can know right from wrong. There is an absolute standard. And he says, this word has been planted in you. It's something that's not native to our own self. It's something that God comes and he plants in us. Jesus said this word is like a mustard seed and, and it comes and it's planted in us and it's this little tiny seed and then it grows into this massive tree. That's what it's like. And he says, I want you to receive this word and all that that is with meekness. Meekness is an interesting word. Anybody ever call you meek? I mean, we don't use that word. You're a very meek person. He uses it to describe Christians. What's meekness? Meekness is the opposite of this. Or the opposite of this. Meekness is that. It's not being a wimp. In fact, the very definition of meekness means it's strength that's under control. Because if we wanted to, we could fight. But we're saying, no, I'm going to control my strength. I'm going to yield my strength so that I may receive it. It actually probably takes more strength to put our fists down and to receive what God has rather than to fight him. You ever hear his word sometimes and you're like, man, I'm fighting it? We, we often talk about I'm fighting God right now. Isn't that interesting? That would not be meekness. He says, receive the word with meekness. Receive it saying, I need it. Like, this is the best thing for me. Like, it has wisdom I don't even understand. It has a plan that's better than anything I could plan. It has good news, better than any kind of news I could generate. Receive it, quiet, gentle. Let it grow in you. He's talking about the word, and he says, therefore, in view of all the trials, let the word, if you're going to get through trials, get rid of the wickedness stuff and focus on the word. The word, the word. And he goes on to say this, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word but not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he's like. I just uh, saw two surveys this past week. Um, One was of a thousand people over in England, and they surveyed people about their mirrors and what they do with their mirrors and uh, another survey as well that had it didn't say how many people but it seemed credible so who knows if it is or not but they had different results one study said that women look at a mirror 
Um, let me see here. Uh, they look at a mirror 16 times a day, and men look at a mirror typically 23 times a day. Then another survey said, no, women, we've found, women on average, they report that they look at a mirror 38 times a day, and men 18 times a day. So I'll split the difference, and we look at the mirror a lot, 20, 20 25 times a day. What are, you, what are we doing looking at ourselves so much? Look at ourselves a lot. The men, this is funny, when they surveyed, they said they look at the mirror to admire themselves. The men do that. The women look at a mirror to make sure they look okay. Like, in a negative sense, just to make sure nothing's going wrong. <laughs> men look at the mirror, or women actually look at the mirror, and they focus on the parts they don't like. Men focus on the parts they do like. It's telling what we do with the mirror. And James uses a mirror which transcends all cultures and all times, and he uses this, and anybody can understand this, and he says, someone who hears the word but doesn't do it is like someone who looks at a mirror, and they know what they look like, and then they walk away, and I'm like, I forget what I look like. You ever forgot what you look like? No. That's just ludicrous. I mean, it's just dumb. Like, who forgets what they look like? We all know what we look like because we look at the mirror all the time. And that's James' point. How in the world is it possible for us to look at the word, which is the mirror, right? How in the world can we look at this and then just go off and pretend like we've never seen ourselves and we forget who we are? bizarre. The thing is, it happens all the time. How many times have we been in the Word and, oh, had a great time, and oh, yes, and this is awesome, and then we turn around and we're going out into life, and it's just like, oh, temptation, oh, and we've forgotten what we look like. And the problem is, it's not always that easy and that's simple, right? Like if it was obvious, we had a sign, you are going to sin if you do this. It's evil. And there's like this big monster. We're like, I don't want that. I know who I am. But it's never like that. Temptation's never like that. It's always subtle. This past week, um, we've been on a, a little project, first time for our family. We raised two pigs. And uh, this past week, uh, we got them when they were 20 pounds, and we took them down to the place where you take them down to. I'm trying to be non-offensive for anybody that's uh, not a meat lover, whatever. Um, took them to the butcher, um, and uh, they weighed them, and our two pigs, in seven months, one was 358 pounds, and the other one was 338 pounds. I mean, you want to talk about, I now understand what it means to eat like a pig. I mean... It is unreal they could gain that much weight in just seven months of life. Unbelievable. So anyway, we're supposed to uh, put them in the back of this trailer and take them down there, and I'm talking to a guy who's raised pigs, and he's like, good luck with that. What's your plan? And I'm like, what do you mean? They're just, and he's like, 
And I didn't know how much they weighed at this point. I knew they were big, but these 358 pounds. And I don't know if you guys know Joe Breider. He's a big guy. And uh, whatever, for whatever reason, Joe just seems like he has a sign on him. He's a really big guy, and he has a sign on him that says, you know, pick on me. And uh, so I'm always trying to push him. Every time I see him, trying to push him over, and he just kind of looks around like, I'm, I'm not a big guy. I know that about myself. And he just says, you're so cute, you know, trying to... <laughs> Imagine, I mean, this pig has got at least 100 pounds, 120 pounds on Job Ryder, and he's got a lower center of gravity, and we're trying to push these pigs into this trailer. And immediately, they're fighting us. Like, why all of a sudden are you pushing me? You never pushed me for seven months, and now all of a sudden, you're, I don't want to go where you're going. It's bad. Like, they just know. And they've never seen a trailer in their life. I'm not going in that trailer. Um, and I discovered you don't push pigs. You just don't. You don't push them. And uh, in fact, if you get no, near their snout, they'll, uh, they root around. That's all they do. They'll destroy a plot of land. Like, it's unbelievable what they'll do to just ground in a matter of hours. So you get next to their snout, they'll literally flip you up in the air like a grown man, like big guys. And uh, so we're trying to push them and stay away from their head, and, and they had nothing to do with it. And so Kurt uh, Shepler, he came out to help me. Kurt's a big guy. Kurt's a really big guy, and uh, he's got a deep voice, and he's like, brought some marshmallows, Scott. And my voice is so high. I feel like Minnie Mouse or Mickey Mouse around him. Hi, guys. Um, and so his voice is really, oh, I got some marshmallows. I'm like, why you got marshmallows? He's like, my son hangs out at the fair, and uh, that's how they move their pigs and get them to do what they want. They give them marshmallows. I'm like, huh. So we can't get these pigs to do anything we want, so we finally just do marshmallows. And it's like they forgot everything about the trailer was bad. And we just, everybody backed off, except for the guy who had the marshmallows, and they're just like, oh, marshmallows. <laughs> and they go right into the trailer of death, right? <laughs> they walk right in, and they forget, I mean, we had just been pushing them, and in this fight with them, and then they're like, oh, <gasps> marshmallows. Can you imagine how crazy that is? I'm like, you guys were doing it great. You were resisting death. You were resisting everything because you knew it was bad. And all of a sudden, one little marshmallow, that's all it takes to move 350 pounds? And James says, what? One little look and you've forgotten everything? How is that possible? You, you've been in the Word. You've been looking at it. And, and then you go, oh, wow. Who am I? I'm just all about this. Because it feels so good. It's the impossibility of it. It's the implausibility of it. What are we thinking? He says, a doer a doer is this, one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and he perseveres or she perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he'll be blessed, she'll be blessed in their doing. It goes on to describe the word as the perfect law. Why, why is it the perfect law? Well, prior to Christ, the law simply condemned 
and left everybody there, and it was outside. It wasn't written on hearts. That's what God said. When Christ came, he said, I'm going to fulfill the law, and I'm going to make this law the way it was supposed to operate, but because what people did before, because it was external, they could just fake it. He said, no, no, I'm going to give you the law, and it's going to be written on your hearts, because that's where it's supposed to be. You can't fake it in here. The perfect law, the moral law of God in us. The law of liberty, that's with the gospel, right? Sets us free from sin, sets us free from the power of sin. Like, it seems impossible to say no, but God gives us the ability to say no. The law that gives us freedom from chains, of addictions, and whatever we're in bondage to. Sickness. And he says, whoever looks into that law and looks and looks and then turns around and goes, I can't do that. That's not who I am. I'm not that. This is who I am. That person, they'll be blessed. See, the misnomer is that the law restricts us, but actually the law frees us to be who we are. There is a, a study done, research actually, project where they brought in people who have severe anxiety about their appearance and looking in mirrors. And uh, there's a whole world of that, I guess. I didn't realize that. And so they brought in people to do a study, and so they were the test group, and they had a control group of people who had no issues with looking at the mirror, just doesn't do anything. I mean, it's just nothing to them. And what they did is they had both groups look at a mirror for 10 minutes. Now, they, their thesis was the, per, the, the test group is going to have spiked levels of anxiety because they're looking at themselves for 10 minutes. And that's what happened. Spiked levels of anxiety, spiked levels of worry, fear, all that stuff just came to the surface. And uh, what they didn't expect is what happened to the control group. The control group, who didn't have any issues, for 10 minutes, after looking at themselves for 10 minutes, had just as much spiked levels of anxiety and worry. The conclusion of the study was this. Um, let me find it here. It's possible that looking at yourself for long periods of time is not a good thing. <laughs> I could have told you that. You know what's interesting is gazing at ourselves for ourselves' sake is toxic. But gazing at the Word of God reflecting who we are and who God is is the exact opposite. When we gaze at the word and it shows us who we are, it actually reduces stress. It actually reduces anxiety. It grounds us in truth and reality. And we no longer focus on all our bad parts. The longer we gaze, the, what we begin to do is focus on Christ and his image in us in Christ and what he's done. And it's completely opposite. We can gaze at the mirror of Christ and his word for hours and hours and hours. 
and will only heal and it will only improve and will only get stronger and will only turn around and go, I know who I am. That's not who I am. It doesn't need to be a struggle. That's a, that's a subtle temptation. I don't want it. I know who I am. I'm not going to do that. Ruin everything that God's done. I know who I am. I've seen it. You ever struggle with looking at the word when you've sinned? Especially when you're in a pattern of rampant wickedness and filth. Ever avoid looking at the word? I do. Have months, maybe, days, weeks, year. It's hard looking at this. There's something about when we've, when we've been in rampant wickedness to come back to this is so hard. You're like, I don't want to do it. It's going to be painful. It's going to be painful. No, I don't want to do it. And, and then one day you find that you can't stop that conviction, the Spirit saying, look at my word, look at my word, look at the mirror. You're like, I don't want to do it. And so you find, okay, I'm going to do it, God, but you're just going to have to show me the right, the right verse because I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to work at it. <laughs> You're going to do this for me. And my Bible always opens up to Ezekiel 18. And I'm like, anytime. And so you just, you do the, the little Bible roulette, right? All right, Jesus, this verse, it better speak to me. And mine always says, the soul who sins will die. <laughs> I'm like, ah! I, I've never set out to memorize Ezekiel 18, but it always opens up to Ezekiel 18. God's sense of humor, I guess. It's so hard when you, when you see your reflection and you see the rampant wickedness and filth that you've been in and you just, it's so hard to look at the image. You're just kind of almost like that kid, like, uh, I'm sorry. And that first look is so difficult, isn't it? But then the second look, the second and the third look, it starts to change. And the fourth look where... You start to see yourself and you go, grace? When you start to see yourself and see God's grace, we know what that's like, right? When, when you sit there and go, I, I can look again, it's okay. You know those moments where his mercy comes, like we don't get what we do deserve? Oh, I could look at that all day long. I could just look at his mercy all day long. You have those moments where you're like, I don't deserve it. I've heard people say, I'm, they come out of a life and it's not just the rampant evil, wickedness and filth that they've done, it's what's been done to them. And they, I can't look at this. I don't deserve to look at this. I, I'm trash. I'm just used. I'm no good. And, and, and it's amazing when people start to look at this and, and they start to see, what? God says, he died for me? God says, I'm his? God says, I have worth? And you see those people for the first time and they can't stop looking. They can't stop looking. Like, that's true? That's who I am? I could look at that all day long. And what do they see? They see the way God sees them. 
And it's not about looking at ourselves. It's about looking at God who sees us. That's the word. Are you in the word? How long are you gazing at this? It's the only way, the only path through trial is this, the living word. And we don't worship like the the actual pages and the materials. We worship the living word. And this is his words to us. Are you in the word? Do you know who you are? Are you going to walk out of here today and forget and just be led off? Hearers only, not doers. Invited the team to come up and to sing a song here at the end. It's a song about who we are, who God says we are. And uh, it's not something, I mean, we're putting the words up there for you just to kind of process. If you want to sing along, that's fine, but it's really just a, a time to process, to gaze at the mirror of God's word and let it sink in.